0: M. S. W. Media. Hi, I'm Harry Litman,
1: host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Feds favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insiders view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is a calling I am honored and eager to answer.
3: So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45.
1: And welcome to episode 7 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. I'm Andrew Torres.
0: And I'm AG. Seven weeks into the cleanup, Andrew. <laughs> seven weeks. I feel like
1: I'm hip deep. I've got my waders on. I've got the gloves, you know. <laughs> like
0: Mike Rowe. Dirty jobs. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sometimes
1: feels that way, doesn't it?
0: It does. It feels like cleaning out a sewer uh, yeah. or, or a grease trap. You know, one of that, you know, that smell. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome for that memory. But far better than a foul
1: grease trap smell. Like, I am super excited about today's show. We have an unbelievable interview. I'm really, really excited about that.
0: I'm dancing in my chair right
1: now. <laughs> I, you know, those of you who are not privy to the Skype calls that Ag and I have when we record these things, she is literally dancing in her chair. It is <laughs> the greatest thing. But no, we have Andrew McCabe. Yes, um, I I will fight you over who gets to be his boyfriend, but uh... <laughs> I will win. <laughs> you probably will. So, all right.
0: <laughs> yes, we reached into the depths of the AG Rolodex, Woo. and uh, and Andy McCabe agreed to speak to us today. We're going to talk about uh, insurrection security in the hearings that we had last week in the House Appropriations Committee and the joint session of the Senate's, uh, what did we have, the Rules Committee and the Homeland Security Committee. Uh, And the testimony that we heard from the former, um, you know, uh, a sergeant in arms for the House and the Senate and, of course, the former Capitol Police chief, just, you know, these former security officers that all resigned after the insurrection. And then uh, the House appropriations with the current folks, some evidence that's come out. We want to talk about this refrain of there being an intelligence failure with uh, Andrew, and he's going to talk about that. And then, of course, we've got the upcoming hearings this week, including today, Wednesday, when this comes out. um there will be some officials from the Pentagon and the FBI and Department of Homeland Security testifying. So, it's going to be very interesting and that's a really incredible interview with uh with Andy. So, you definitely want to stick around for that.
1: Yeah. No, that that was fantastic and I can't wait. But um it's it's not just your Rolodex that's amazing, AG. You made news this weekend. You want to Tell everybody about that. Like, like, I think you should take a
0: victory lap. Yes, thank you. I am the Nazi hunter. Uh, we- <laughs> this is so crazy. So, so, so tell me about this. Okay. <laughs> so, a uh, Friday morning, early uh, in the day, my friend Hammy, who has a background of working with Nordic languages. I can't tell you why or what company he works for, but he was putting out an international graphic design product that had to include some runes uh, from the Norse language. And there are multi-international laws banning specific symbols uh, that uh, the Nazis co-opted from this Nordic language uh, to to use as, as symbols for, you know, their collar insignia and stuff like that. And in Germany, there are three specific symbols that are banned. And the number, for the first one is the swastika. Right. You aren't allowed to use that. Second one is the SIG. That's that lightning bolt S that they put next... To, not lightning bolt, but kind of like the zigzag S that they put next to each other for the, to, to signify the SS. Okay. The third is the Odal Rune. And the CPAC stage, uh, my friend uh, Andrew Hamilton noticed as the aerial camera came down Friday morning to introduce the beginning of CPAC, that the stage was shaped exactly like, not close to, not resembling, exactly like the Odal Rune. That's the... <laughs> The one you can't use.
1: Yeah. So, okay. I, I want to drill down on this a little bit because when you first tweeted, and I live and die by your tweets. We know this. I, I looked at it and I'd, I'd never heard of this Odal rune thing. And I thought, you know, it's it's a lot of right angles. Like, I, you know, maybe it's just a coincidence. Um, talk to me a little bit about what, what the rune is and how... Like, yes, me in naïve, I'm not a white supremacist. And like, I don't consume that kind of media circles. Like, like why is this a dog whistle for for white supremacy?
0: Well, first of all, Shout out to all the white supremacists on Twitter who called me out for being a Nazi, seeing as I know so much about this. Mm. Um, that's That was their uh, defense. Not not that it was utilized at the stage. <laughs> no, their defense is, I know you are, but what am I? Yes, pr- pretty much. Okay. I'm rubber, you're glue. Okay. All the Nazi yeah. stuff you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Uh, imagine the letter W, capital letter W, and then set a diamond right on top okay. in the middle. That's the Odal rune. Now, if you take uh, the 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 little serifs away of the w the sides of the w mm-hmm. you get the normal uh norse letter o the equivalent of the letter o and you add the serifs and you get the odal rune and that is what the the nazis did um in, back then that to to brand it better okay so it's all about you can't have tyranny without branding so uh that's that's it's a big part of it propaganda yeah it's
1: red hats yeah Mm -hmm. no I'm, i'm with you
0: big thing big branding and uh, and so when he saw that he he was like he was very he was familiar with the laws knew that it was a Nazi symbol. This is a well-known symbol to Nazis to neo-Nazis to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, myself, I recognized it instantly because back in the 1980s, I belonged to a gang called Sharp, which was the Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice, and we fought the Hammerskins, who were the Nazis, the white power, white supremacist skinheads, and they would have all this iconography, swastikas tattooed on them the odal rune was very big the ss the sig sig um they would have all of the stuff the eagle the iron cross all this stuff tattooed on them so i was familiar with it people who run in these circles are familiar with it you can find it on major banners and flags carried by the neo-nazis at charlottesville you can see the odal rune so this is although a lot of people might not be able to recognize it instantly people who are familiar with it and people who know the laws of things that are banned because they're associated with nazis instantly recognized it and so i you know i tweeted that out um it caught fire very very quickly (laughs) uh to the point where within a day we had responses from matt schlapp who's yep. the organizer of CPAC, right? Who was like, uh, you know, tinfoil hat, uh, you know, uh, conspiracy theorist. It's a conspiracy. It's a shape, Matt. It's a shape. It's There's no conspiracy. Triangle is a triangle. You're lying. No. It's the shape. Now, uh, I didn't say that they had purposefully done this. I could guess that they had purposefully <laughs> done this after seeing that movie that they played at the Ellipse before the insurrection, which was just filled with anti-Semitism and, uh, and sort of Nazi propaganda. But... Uh, I just pointed it out. Did anyone notice they're using a Nazi symbol? Um, they came back and said, we didn't do it on purpose. Um, and I said, OK, but now that you know about it, because um, the Hyatt didn't put out a statement until Monday after CPAC was over, saying, oh, that, yeah, we see that. That's abhorrent. That's bad. We don't support that. Uh, although we alerted them to the problem on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, it's it's just very interesting very odd it got picked up by uh, Snopes who said yeah that's the Odal rune but it's not been confirmed that it was <laughs> intentional right I mean uh, you know
1: it, it, that I read the Snopes article and the, you know that was essentially uh, we do not have direct testimony from the organizers of CPAC that said you know we deliberately tried to bury the shape in there it, it I to me, I think what is telling is that the back, the little wing parts, right, the serifs, the serifs, okay, that turn it into the Odal rune. Um, those were just like it, it was. It was a lit walkway from yeah. stage left and stage right. It would have taken ten minutes tops to like rearrange the way that walkway looked,
0: mm-hmm. and they didn't even go anywhere. Those they they weren't in use those serifs. And they cost money to build. Uh, And no one stood on them. There was no dance number that required (laughs) chorus lines on the side. Uh, So that and their response, the response, uh, you know, a a normal person would go, ooh, that's bad. Let's let's take that down. And... I denounce neo-Nazis. But you know why the Republican Party can't do that? Yeah. And then, of course, all the tweets came in. Are you saying all Republicans are Nazis? I said, no, but all Nazis are Republicans. (laughs) Uh, Bear with me for a minute on this. Um, You know, and of course, I got my opinions about it. But the fact remains, it was the shape of the Odell rune. No question, it is the shape of that rune. It is a known Nazi symbol, one of only three outlawed in Germany. And the other two are the swastika and the sig-sig. So... Kind of important, you know. Kind of ranks up there. It,
1: I, I think. I mean, the two. Because again, that I was skeptical when you first brought. Not, not. Not skeptical of your motives, but, you know, I, I I don't want to believe that of our two major political parties, one of them has been co-opted entirely, you know, stem to stern by uh, white supremacists. That's it, it, a tough one. The The, the two facts that, that sort of push me over the top are, number one, understanding how outside that that it really truly does fall into the like dog whistle category right this is a thing that if you're not a white supremacist you're like "Uh, all right whatever random collection of shapes might be that way Uh, and 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 the second point that you just emphasized that i think makes it very very hard to defend and that is um it it I, i actually had something like this the the very first logo for my law firm I had done uh, uh, over. It was the equivalent of Fiverr, right? Like I had various graphic artists submit a design, and there was this really cool, like interlocking two gavels. <laughs> it wasn't quite the, right, but you see, like there was a white space, and someone was like, "Well, if you turn it this way, it kind of looks like a swastika." And I was like, "Holy crap!" And you know, and what I said was, um. Uh, All right. Didn't see that. And then I immediately like went in and edited and put in like long black lines to, to make sure that it couldn't make a fucking swastika because you know what? Like you yeah, even if it's totally unintentional, you're like, Ooh, wow. Um, that's bad. Let me fix that. And the fact that the response was, you're making this up. Are are we going to disavow or change this crickets? I, that's a tough one.
0: Even the band Kiss, for example, <laughs> when they were about to sell stuff yeah. in Germany and go go to Germany. There's a story about this that Andrew Hamilton told me about. And uh, they actually, uh, Germany said, you know, your your uh, S and S in Kiss <laughs> look an awful lot yeah. like Sig Sig. Now, there are lightning bolt S's, but it was close enough that Kiss was like, holy shit, you're right. Let's change that. And then they made the the changes to their logo because yeah. they knew that that would be a bad thing to do. So uh, CPAC can't get their shit together the way Gene Simmons does. But uh, here, yet here we are. And and their response was also a little uh, because they're like we at CPAC love the Jewish people. We at CPAC, uh, it's, they the the way that they arranged their statement, they completely separated themselves. Uh, and made it almost seem like, we welcome the people who aren't us, <laughs> the others. And and it was just, it was very uh, tough to read, hard to swallow, very bad move, all just all around a bad look. But we can't expect them to do anything but deny uh, and then turn around and accuse us of doing the same thing. Uh, you should address, he said, I believe you should address anti-Semitism within the Democratic Party. <laughs> yeah, I... It, uh... If I can, I do thirty
1: seconds on the fact that the co-optation of right wing um, uh, 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 Orthodox Judaism within the evangelical Christian community. Yeah,
0: let's do a new let's do a new segment called "Can I Do 30 by Andrew Torres. I'm gonna pull out my stopwatch. Uh, it's just
1: yeah, get get it on the clock. <laughs> my Jewish friends you need to understand the reason that evangelical Christians are playing nice to you is because they're trying to fulfill prophecy in their book that will bring about the end of the world. They do not value your religion as your religion. They value your religion as the first step in kicking off prophetic events that will result in all of you being exterminated by Jesus and sent to the lake of fire. So you may want to think twice about whether these people are your friends thank you this has been andrew for 30 Mm.
0: (laughs) good job you did it yeah so uh, the the response um has been uh, that cpac well hyatt said "Ooh, that's abhorrent and then cpac wrote a letter saying you're abhorrent and uh (laughs) we 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 don't like you and what's abhorrent yeah (laughs) and um you're trying to cancel us this far left social media uh attack which they're talking about me uh you know because once i put it out there of course everybody picked it up right everybody (laughs) that that we know and love um everybody who's anybody picked it up and and it just got it just got so huge and so i'm interested to see um where this goes because now the cpac and the far right and and republicans are boycotting hyatt as well as people on the left for their statement coming out too little too late uh, about, you know, apologizing for the abhorrence of the Nazi symbol on Monday after the stage had already been dismantled and all the checks had been cashed. So here we are. We'll keep on it for you. But uh, I am um, super um, proud to have called this out. I would do it again. I've been stomping Nazis since the 80s. I'm not going to stop. I, I
1: I really wish we didn't have to do this, but I'm glad that there's somebody more cynical and more eagle-eyed than i am out there um this was this was really a a great catch for me the takeaway from cpac is that the complete and utter transformation of the republican party into the trump party uh it it, it continues unabated right
0: yeah well we'll see because only 55 percent of the trump of the trump uh Carnival uh, voted in the straw poll for him for the next president. This party seems very split to me. Maybe maybe like a 60-40, 70-30, but that's enough to destroy the whole thing. I I sure hope
1: you're right. I mean, to me, I look at a Republican Party that... For the first time in history, declined to have a presidential platform in 2020. It was just, yay, go Trump, uh, that, you know, had that golden calf Trump brought in. Uh, And then Trump's speech, uh, right? No, we're not starting a new party. I own the Republican Party. I'm going to beat him a third time. The entire thesis of CPAC, like usually CPAC, uh, like they're toxic and stupid and terrible ideas, but they are ideas, right? <laughs> um, this was this was entirely. I, I mean, I I'm hard pressed to come up with anything that was not relitigating the election and mm-hmm. repeating. I mean, that
0: you know, it was a boring speech and it was terrible, and uh, you know, I, and I mean, we're not we're no more than six years away from a, a Republican platform that was very strong against uh, Russia uh invading Crimea we you know and had very uh strong language against Russia and uh, for on behalf of Ukraine uh we were we're less than six years away from that Republican party and 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 so everyone was like how did the Nazi part how did Hitler get into power so fast well here we are um
1: uh, uh, the the we have always been at war with East Asia is uh is strong in the trump wing of the Republican party so
0: mm-hmm. yeah well, that's um, the long and short of CPAC. Um, <laughs> I feel like we could go
1: a lot longer, but I'm uh, I gotta wash the taste out of my mouth. So
0: yeah, I gotta go take a Gattaca shower after that discussion.
1: <laughs> Outstanding reference.
0: <laughs> and as soon as uh, as soon as I'm done with that, uh, we'll be right back. We're going to talk about some some cool stuff with uh, Merrick Garland and other things going on. And so uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG for Clean Up on Isle 45. Do you ever listen to our podcast? You want to scream your opinions or your questions at us, or you just want to fight with Andrew, because I always do. Well, now you can, because we go live on the Stereo app every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can ask us your questions directly, or sing a song to us, or just make a comment. You can record them, and and we'll play them, and then we'll answer them. Join us for for the Clean Up on Isle 45 after-party Q&A. We have uncensored opinions, exclusive content, only available on the Stereo app. I love this app. I'm talking on it all the time you can follow me at Allison Gill and get notified every time I go live. We take a deep dive into a variety of topics and interact directly with you. So download the Stereo app for free and follow us at stereo.com/allisongill. There's a link in the description in the show notes and then join us on the Stereo app. The Stereo app has thousands of live social conversations with a wide range of genres, every interest including news, comedy, sports, pretty much anything you want to talk about. You choose whether to be a co-host, participate as a guest or simply listen on exclusive conversations. So join Andrew and me live every Tuesday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Stereo app. We'll see you there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, As we record this monday night the senate judiciary committee voted 15 to 7 to advance president biden's nomination of what should have been supreme court justice merrick garland to the full senate for confirmation garland the former chief judge of the u.s court of appeals for the dc circuit also a rad dude rad circuit <laughs> yeah. loving circuit has been praised by members of both parties for his intellect and his integrity he's very good 15 to 7 is a good vote but it should should have been bigger than that yeah He um, he pledged in his nomination hearing last month to fend off any effort by anyone to politically influence the Justice Department investigations and that his first priority would be to fully prosecute the heinous crimes committed in the attack of the Capitol on January 6th. And he also said not just the people that were in the building, but everybody up and down. And because of the power sharing agreement that uh, Andrew and I described for you in episode five, the Senate judiciary is split 11 Republicans, 11 Democrats. So this vote is all 11 Democrats plus four of the Republicans and the two member last week, I said, I know at least Graham (laughs) and Cornyn are going to vote for this. So nobody fear Uh,
1: you, you did. So those four uh, were Graham and Cornyn um, and also Chuck Grassley uh, of Iowa and Tom Tillis from North Carolina. And I, Grassley, I understand, right? He's occasionally had some independent thoughts. Um, and Tillis is also not a surprise. Like that is rapidly blueifying North Carolina. <laughs>
3: um,
1: And I guess I think that probably explains Cornyn as well, right? Like there's somebody sort of looking around and, uh, you know, seeing Beto O'Rourke, uh, you know, be a better statesman for, for his state than, uh, the, the current junior senator from Texas, um, Talk to me about Lindsey Graham not being a despicable human being.
0: <laughs> well, that's not entirely true. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, the, you know, the old Lindsey Fish, right? He feeds off of whoever has the most power at the time. So, you know, who knows? But last month, Graham called Garland a sound choice. Uh, but, you know, it definitely surprised me at the time. Um, but, you know, he I don't know who it is that he's glomming on to right now to impress with his vote for Garland unless it's Garland himself and he doesn't want, he wants easy goings when the investigations happen. Because if you remember, Lindsey Graham is always, whenever he questions the FBI, particularly about this FISA stuff, uh, Carter Page, he's always grilling them about his conversations with foreign leaders and if they've been recorded and if if you're a cop, you have to say so, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and oh, are you going to tell me? And I remember during one hearing, finally after a grilling about 15 minutes, the guy from the FBI looked at him and said, look, Mr. Graham, we got your request last month. We're looking into it. So he's really concerned about what's the DOJ, what the Department of Justice is looking into. So, uh, you know, I can't imagine Merrick Garland's the kind of guy who would go, hey, you voted for me, so I'm going to let this one slide. <laughs> but uh, I honestly don't know who it is he's trying to impress with his vote for Merrick Garland, but I don't think it's, it's just because he thinks... It's the right thing to do. That's just my own thought. Yeah, yeah. I no, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Now as for the seven who voted against Garland, it's a who's who of seditionists. <sighs> They're mostly your standard villains. Mike Lee of Utah, who thinks democracy is rank and is the enemy of liberty. Josh Hawley of Missouri, the future Goebbels; Tom Cotton of Arkansas, John Kennedy. Of Louisiana, Ted Cruz of Texas, and Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, whose questions to uh, to Merrick Garland were the dumbest questions I've ever heard uh, uh, in my life. Oh,
1: I just want to point out these are the people that the Republicans put on the Judiciary Committee. Like, look, there is no way that Marsha Blackburn could outscore either you or Thomas on Thomas takes the bar exam. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, sorry. Like, uh, so I- I'm counting up. That's six.
0: Oh yeah, the seventh. Surprised the shit out of me. Ben Sass of Nebraska, someone who's been very critical of Trump, voted to convict during the last impeachment. What is going on with Sassy Pants? I I don't know. So I
1: I tried to drill down on this. Right. Um, And I could really only find two things. Right. The first was. Sass was a cheerleader of Mitch McConnell's efforts to deny Merrick Garland a seat on the Supreme Court back in 2016, right? And he put – you – absolutely saw this at the time and you've blocked it out of your memory but he gave this like a unbelievable like face punch worthy uh press conference in which he's like well if barack obama would nominate to the supreme court someone who would rein in the uncontrolled dictatorial powers of barack obama i would vote to confirm that person you know you just it was gross right yeah um So he did all of that grandstanding in 2016. So maybe he just feels like he's on the like, I'm anti Merrick Garland train. I don't know. The other thing that comes up is Sass is a plausible Republican presidential contender in 2024. If things swing against Trump, right? Like, it's pretty much Sass, Romney, and my governor, Larry Hogan, right? Like, that's the anti-Trump Republican Party right now. And maybe this is a way for him to, like, build up cred with the right wing that's anti-Trump. I don't know. Like, all I know is that last week, Sass was asked about Garland, and he replied three things. And I looked during the confirmation hearing for this— these seem ridiculous. He said, number one, um, he wants to probe Garland's views on the limits of executive powers. Right. And that goes back to the 2016 Supreme Court thing. Right. Um, which did d- now that, you know, Joe Biden is in office, we're back to executive orders are terrible. Uh, but um Second, he wanted to ask how Garland quote, "plans to handle politically sensitive investigations in a way that can build confidence in the department's independence." end of quote. And look like Garland knocked that out of the park yeah, during he his an-
0: asked an answer yeah, right. totally. And third,
1: and this is real weird, he wants a commitment quote, to bringing Jeffrey Epstein's co-conspirators to justice, um, which, by the way, I'm all for. Like, uh, you, yeah, you, you want to go uh, wiretap Alan Dershowitz? Like, I will. You know, uh, I'll, I'll sign an amicus brief for you to get that search warrant. Yeah,
0: clear sign he's out to get Trump. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was weird. So those are weird requirements. <sighs> um, I do know that a lot of people were upset that he wouldn't commit to. Uh, Not firing Durham. Uh, So maybe there's something about that uh, that Sass didn't like, because as we know, uh, Bill Barr committed to not firing Mueller or was it? uh, I I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, he said he wouldn't
1: fire Rosenstein.
0: Yeah, Rosenstein. Right. And so, uh, I, they, you know, I know that Ted Cruz was grilled and I'm looking for an answer to that. And he's like, I'm not going to give you any promises. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming his work will continue. <laughs> Basically he's <laughs> sitting there like he's found nothing. Uh, but sure. So yeah he wouldn't commit to that. That's the only thing I can think of. But I, I, I had been down a, a, as a yes, but uh, I know you did too. It's just very confusing.
1: Yep. Well, we'll we'll see. I still think that Garland. I think we said seventy-five plus. Maybe, maybe I'll calibrate down to like seventy plus. But I mean, he's still going to sail through the Senate. I think.
0: Yeah, I'm still at seventy plus. Yeah, that's I think that's my right. that's my uh, guess. There, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with seventy-three. <laughs> Closest. I'll go one dollar. No, wait. Are we doing prices right? <laughs> one dollar. One. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're like, I'm 74. Mm. All right. Um, here Here's an interesting story. We've got about uh, a, a couple minutes left in this segment. You're going to love this, Andrew. Do you remember way back in December 2020 when Gomert, smartest man in Congress, <laughs> sued Mike Pence to try to force him to certify a non-existent competing slate of completely made-up Trump electors? Remember that? Oh, yeah. That was... <laughs> That was delightful. <sighs> yeah, that was the lawsuit that election law experts uniformly described as breathtaking and preposterous, and it lost everywhere, including unanimously lost at the Supreme Court. Mind <laughs> you, unanimously like He couldn't even get fucking Squee and Tubin <laughs> yeah. to to vote for his bullshit.
1: Yeah, when when Sam Alito thinks that you've pushed the bar a little too far, like you're in trouble. <laughs> um, that was also the lawsuit. This is this is me. Maybe look like there were 65 of these lawsuits and 20 were brought by Sidney Powell. So there was a tremendous amount of stupidity to go around. But this was the first one in which litigants on behalf of the Trump side missed their filing deadline because nobody on Gohmert's team had ever used Microsoft Word before. Right. And you might think I'm making that up. But no, they filed an unopposed motion to exclude. Excuse their late filing because all their docs were in Google Docs. And uh, look, look, let me just quote directly from the brief, because otherwise you're going to think I'm making this up. Quote, plaintiff's counsel have encountered numerous (laughs) technical incompatibilities in the software versions between Google Docs and Microsoft Word, resulting in editing difficulties and text problems end of real quote that these real lawyers submitted to a real judge in a real case i I can't make this up
0: i remember back when manafort (laughs) <laughs> converted his PDF business PDFs to Word and and then made some changes, falsifying them, and then reconfigured it back to PDFs, and it got all fakakta. And then when they tried to submit some redacted stuff, but they actually only just highlighted it in black so you could actually remove the redactions and see what was underneath. Mm-hmm. And ever since that moment that we discovered that back in 2018, we had a segment called Republicans Can't Tech. <laughs> and I think... That's sort of where we're at here. And you're going to love this. D.C.-based attorney Patrick Malone has submitted two separate bar complaints to the, the, the D.C. Court of Appeals Office of Disciplinary Counsel. Right. These two complaints target three members of the D.C. bar. Julia Z. Holler, Lawrence Joseph and Brandon Johnson. The complaints allege that each of the three attorneys, quote, seriously violated the District of Columbia rules of professional conduct and engaged in, quote, unethical behavior in Gohmert's lawsuit. Now, specifically, Malone claims that the Texas Republicans' arguments were frivolous and presented for improper purpose and that the attorneys themselves engaged in, quote, conduct that seriously interferes with the administration of justice, unquote, by litigating the GOP's concerns therein. Yeah, look, um...
1: People ask me this all the time, right? Is Sidney Powell going to get disbarred? Is Linwood going to get disbarred? And and my answer is always the same: You get disbarred for misusing client funds. That's there are two things that are that are uh, that that I would just point out here. So number one. Filing a bar complaint. Right. There are lots of disciplinary measures that are short of total disbarment. Right. Including uh, temporary disbarment, losing your license for a period of time, a formal reprimand. Right. Like all, all of things which which I think are appropriate and potentially available here. Right. And like when you've been disciplined You have to disclose that, right? Like that—that goes on the uh, the lawyer equivalent of like you know your public record that you always heard about down (laughs) on your permanent record. Exactly right, and like that, it really does matter. Like it, it it, in the long run, right? Are grifters probably going to make it through? Yeah, you know, maybe, but like we need to keep pushing back against. The people who, you know, the ordinary folks who have enabled Trumpism um, and and all three of these lawyers, as far as I can tell, uh, uh, we're just lawyers. Right. And they got caught up and they decided they were going to take Louis Gohmert's money Um and they filed a lawsuit they shouldn't have filed. And the big thing here is that they submitted a document that made it look like the Arizona state legislature had approved their imaginary bullshit made up alternate state of elect, slate of electors. And they had not. That's a fraudulent document. And you know what? Like the, the bark, uh, the, the, the bark grievance, the, the, um, So the D.C., the the District of Columbia Court of Appeals, that's the state Supreme Court in D.C. Um, Mm -hmm. The Office of Disciplinary Counsel is not going to be super impressed with like, well, technically we didn't. No, 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 no. Like the, the bar is lawyers policing lawyers. And the more I talk to fellow lawyers, right, they don't have to be as far left as I am, but that they're. We're embarrassed by this shit. Like the Linwoods and Sidney Powell's uh, are are bringing our profession into disrepute more so than, you know, (laughs) generally.
0: And not only that, but it undermines uh, the ability for lawyers to do their jobs properly. It's 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 not just embarrassing and gross and offensive. It's actually detrimental to the system of justice, and I think that we may actually see some uh disciplinary action uh from the bar on 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 some of these things, particularly this case, especially with that just blatant submission about the the a z g o p like you said yeah uh and the legislature there uh just ab- just completely <laughs> Just a lie. Just a flat-out lie. It,
1: it, it is, and and I, I sure hope so. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll see. But you know what's really, really cool?
1: <laughs> Andy McCabe? Yes. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: we get to talk to the man right after this break. Uh, it's a really, really in-depth interview. Um, he's, he's just... So knowledgeable, obviously, he was a former acting director of the FBI about the intelligence work product, the chain of command, the you know, that that it goes through the and and everything that we kind of need to know about who's responsible for what in national security and how it impacts this sort of frivolous accusation that there was an intelligence failure. Although there are some criticisms of the FBI and we're going to get more information according to Andrew when we hear from some of those folks at the FBI. So it's just a really fabulous interview. Yeah.
1: I, I love the idea that, that we're going to be able to talk to somebody boots on the ground in terms of you know right now there are a ton of cross fingers being pointed you know nobody wants to 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 take responsibility and um i i've i've got a feeling that uh, that andy can help us kind of get to the bottom of what's going on
0: yeah absolutely and definitely and you're going to hear it right after this break stay with us Hey everybody, it's AG and this portion of cleanup on aisle 45 is brought to you by the most incredible thing ever Magic Spoon Cereal. It is cereal so delicious you will not believe it's healthy. I'm excited to share Magic Spoon with you. I have been a cereal person since I was a kid. I used to sit down in front of Saturday morning cartoons and eat like a box of it. But since I've be, you know become an adult I've had to eat healthier and I've had to give it up because of all the sugar and chemicals and carbs. But not Magic Spoon. It is so delicious you won't believe it's made without all that stuff. And if you're a cereal lover like me, you've got to give it a try. Forbes Magazine says with cereal It tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value as opposed to, well, none. Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast. Magic Spoon cereals amazingly have zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the best part is it's super delicious. Four amazing nostalgic flavors. Cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. Magic Spoon tastes incredible. It's honestly too good to be true. My favorite flavor right now is cocoa because you get that chocolatey milk afterwards. So, do this. Go to magicspoon.com slash cleanup grab a variety pack and try it today and be sure to use our promo code cleanup and at checkout to get free shipping magic spoon is so confident in their product it's backed with a 100 happiness guarantee so if you don't like it for any reason they'll refund your money no questions asked that's MagicSpoon.com/ slash cleanup and use the code cleanup for free shipping and we thank magic spoon for sponsoring the podcast Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are honored today to be joined by former acting director of the FBI and author of the book, The Threat, which you really need to pick up and look through because it's going to give you a lot of information about how the FBI works and especially in light of the fact that Durham is being held over by Joe Biden in the investigation <laughs> of the oranges of the Russia investigation, if you will. But today we're going to talk about uh, insurrection security and and the intelligence there. So please welcome Andrew McCabe.
3: Hey, how are you?
0: That was a long intro. I'm well. I'm good. <laughs> how, are, how have you been? How are things going with you and your family over there?
3: We are doing well. We're all healthy. We're all a little bit bored and driving each other crazy in the house, but that's all right. We don't have much to complain about, so we're good.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear it. So the the first thing I wanted to talk about is there was a lot of confusion, uh, and and I think everyone's still trying to get it straight in their head. The actual intelligence apparatus that uh, went on or should have occurred uh, the day... uh, of the insurrection and in the, in the days and the weeks leading up to it there. Uh, my understanding is that the FBI had intelligence and then there's an actual intelligence arm at the U S Capitol police. And there's also a Capitol police board. And I was wondering if you could explain that process of how it's supposed to work.
3: Sure. So one of the things that makes this so complicated is every agency has their own intelligence collection and analysis infrastructure in the FBI. The main operational side of the terrorism uh, effort in the FBI in the 56 field offices are what we call the Joint Terrorism Task Forces, the JTTF. And each JTTF is comprised of uh, agents from that field office and also uh, state and local uh, law enforcement officers who are detailed to the FBI to work on the JTTF. So it creates an environment of um, cooperative work. Uh, we, we get to use each other's legal authorities to get the job done. And we also get to share information very openly. Also in the FBI field office, you have something called a field intelligence group. So all of the Intel that gets collected across all of the operational work in the field office gets analyzed and reviewed by the, by the analysts in the field intelligence group, and they produce intelligence reports. So what I would expect happened in our Norfolk field office is some sort of intelligence collection platform that they have up collected some very alarming um, uh, chatter on the internet between uh, like-minded um, uh, domestic extremists talking about attacking the Capitol. And uh, I'm sure you've seen the report. It's They say things like they're ready to wage war on the Capitol and that sort of thing. So in that In that situation, the field intelligence group from Norfolk would have written up a report. They would have sent that report to the Washington field office, which was had the lead for security preparation around um, around that event. And the Washington field office, we know because of the public statements they've made about this, basically handed that report off to the Capitol police officers who were present as members of the J.T.T.F., so in the FBI's side of the road, they, I guess, considered their responsibility with respect to that information was done. They, you know, it was provided to the JTTF and the Capitol Police officers had access to it. We now also know from the testimony of Chief, former Chief Sund that that information did make its way from the JTTF over to the intelligence arm of the Capitol Police. They have their own intelligence shop over there and that report was apparently not passed beyond the level of a sergeant within the capitol police before january 6th so chief sund himself had not seen that report and was only aware of it a few days before his recent testimony so there's some legitimate questions about how the capitol police handled that information when they got it
1: so just drilling down on Sun's testimony a little bit, um, I, <laughs> I I thought his his statement seemed very carefully crafted to me. Right, the, the criticism was uh, that they had received no intelligence from the FBI indicating that a planned takeover of the Capitol was in the works. Right, and that seems awfully specific with respect to it. So, I guess two questions. Right, number one, um, that. It, it is is that type of conclusion, the type of information that would have been included in that in that sort of report um, or, you know, would it would it have been more in the in the vein? Right. Would you would you have reached that kind of a strong conclusion or would it have been much more, you know, sort of operative intelligence? anyway
0: Yeah. Kind of like the difference between raw intelligence and they they seem to want something i think i think andy you referred to it as prescriptive intelligence right
3: yeah that's well first of all he he was being very careful as were all the <laughs> all the uh witnesses and having been a witness myself many times i don't bring them
1: to- <laughs> i did yeah no, no, not throwing any shade not,
3: not, pl- not a place where recklessness uh, does you good <laughs> but um everybody's being very um Uh, precise about the words that they are um, highlighting from the intelligence reports. And it's important to know that there are two different intelligence reports that are very relevant to this. So the Capitol police produced their own intelligence assessment, which apparently ran about 12 or 15 pages or something. And they presented that on January 3rd. So that thing was already done and presented to uh, Capitol police leadership and to the police board, Um, before the FBI Norfolk report came down the line. The FBI Norfolk report was really like the day or so before uh, the 6th, and it was really kind of a last-minute thing. Um, With respect to the FBI report, uh, honestly, I would have expected the FBI to make more of a positive personal contact with a late-breaking report like that on the eve of the event um it certainly was concerning i understand that they were not able to attribute it to any specific individuals so it may not have reached that level of specificity and credibility that we like to see with intelligence but nevertheless it was pretty darn frightening and it's like the night before the event you pick up the phone you call the chief and say hey just want to make sure you saw this doesn't seem like that happened here but The longer Capitol Police intelligence report seems to be the thing that most of the witnesses were referring to. And of course, I haven't seen that in its entirety, but from the way they referenced it, it seems like there was some very conflicting language in there. There were some things that seemed quite alarming and indicated that the Capitol itself would be a... Uh, focus of the violent activity. And then there was other inf- there was other conclusions or analysis that said that they thought that the possibility of violence was remote or not likely. So witnesses were really able to point to those words that supported the actions they took. I think that's a lot of what you saw in the testimony.
0: But there were some actions they took that would indicate that they had serious concern. I know that Yogananda Pittman testified that Sund had requested to make an emergency that had requested from the um, U.S. Capitol Police Board to make an emergency declaration. And uh, they declined to do that because apparently you also needed that request to come from Irving And Stenger. And they did not make that request. As we know, it's been testified. It's been testified to that Irving has said he didn't like the optics of having the National Guard on the mall, which is the same odd language that came out of Lieutenant General Pyatt's mouth (laughs) over at uh, the Army. I'm like, that's a really interesting, seemingly scripted kind of a line. Um, but I'm speculating there, but to come to, uh, to the board on January 4th and request an emergency declaration would indicate that, that they thought he, ahead of time that he had the intelligence that it was going to be dangerous.
3: Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, it seems like they had that meeting and that conversation. The board of course would have been chief sund, um, uh, Senate Sergeant of Arms, um, the house Sergeant of Arms. So that's Stenger and I can't remember the Irving other, yeah, Irving, um, and also the architect of the Capitol, uh, who deftly has seemed to avoid <laughs> this whole thing. We haven't seen or heard from him yet. But um, so Sund, you know, made a request for uh, the, for augmenting their their security preparation with National Guard forces, and the board turned him down. And I, it seemed from Stenger's testimony that he based his conclusion that they didn't need that on the intelligence report and the language in the intelligence report that was you know, again, pointing them more to the more disarming language that was in there. Um, So, yeah, there were opportunities to augment what they had and there were decisions made not to do that. And I think that's unavoidable.
1: Well, well, and and let me ask, we we have received obviously – None of us have received the entirety of that 12 page report. Um, there has been a leak of uh, what looks like about a half a page to the Washington Post. Um, and and as I read that, it it seemed to be pretty conclusive. Right. So I'm going to give you a couple sentences from that. I know you've seen it, but, uh, you know, but just so our listeners can can follow along. Um, as outlined above, there has been a worrisome call for protesters to come to these events armed. And there is the possibility that protests that protesters may be inclined to become violent. Uh, Then there's some more description about the stop the steel group. And then it ends with this combined with stop the Steel's propensity to attract white supremacists, militia members, and others who actively promote violence may lead to a significantly dangerous situation for law enforcement and the general public alike. Um, And, and, and so I guess I, I juxtapose that with some statements um is it when you have language that is that concrete um even if there are sort of other areas of the report i mean
0: unless the next page that we're missing says just kidding <laughs> we were kidding you know <laughs>
1: yeah right i mean it's it i i, I guess i'm asking you know would what would, would you expect um more specificity than that i mean that that seems to sound the alarm pretty uh pretty loudly it really
3: does um it's it's really alarming uh language to have in an intelligence uh report um and it's hard to understand why the report apparently and again i haven't seen the whole thing but apparently concludes with language that says that they assess the possible the potential of violence to be remote or not or not improbable or something like that which I don't know how you reconcile that with the earlier language that you just uh, quoted. But you know, if you don't have a clear um a lot a lot of intelligence product uh, products are not, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Intelligence products don't tell leaders what decisions to make. They just present the information that we have, the raw intelligence we've collected, and they should also present some sort of logical, supported, you know, uh, assessment or a conclusion that is supported by the intelligence we have, and when the conclusion is kind of all over the map, as this one seems like it might have been, it makes the intelligence obviously much less uh, helpful.
0: Yeah, I think it's just striking when you put it when you juxtapose it to the National Guard response last summer, for example. Right. This isn't this isn't <laughs> yeah. their first. This is this, it's not like they can say. We haven't seen anything like this before. We've never had to prepare for anything like this before. It's it's this is not their first rodeo.
3: That's the that's the 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 real head scratching part of this, me. And there's many many questions that we need to resolve here. And we're not going to get these answers to these questions from a, a, a jumble of Senate and House hearings. But um, this community, this law enforcement community in Washington D.C. is not like any place else in the country. It's you have all these powerhouse agencies working in the same 5 mile area and they actually work together incredibly well. When I was running the Washington Field office, I used to have the the chiefs of every agency in my office once a month for the purpose of sharing intelligence and like level setting how we thought about the threats. They also have more experience working with national special security events or NSSEs than any other place in the in the country by far. And we typically, the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security is the is the official who designates an event an NSSE, and they do that based on a threat assessment. You do a threat assessment, and there's a there's a rating system, and if it rates high enough on the system, the Secretary can designate it. Once it's designated, that puts into place this very well practiced, experienced. Um, collaboration across all the agencies, and it floods resources and personnel to areas like the Capitol. For instance, that is the way they protect the Capitol every time there's a joint session of Congress for the President's State of the Union. Now, the joint session of Congress to certify the electoral results seems like it would have fit right into that same bucket. So, I'm really curious as to why no one thought to designate the event and then bring in all the coordination and the law enforcement partnership that ins- that keeps the Capitol safe for, you know, each time one of these things happens. It's really curious to me.
1: that 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 makes a lot of sense. I, I have to drill down. You you just said you you don't think we're going to get the answers from the. Current hearing before Homeland Security. Um, how how do we get those answers? <laughs> you
3: you need a um, authoritative, professional investigation. We desperately need a bipartisan commission, or as bipartisan as we can get, to come in here and spend the time that it takes to do this. It might take a year. It might take more. To, to They need access to every agency. They need to have the clearances and the access to review all the intelligence that the agencies had. They should question what judgments were made based on that intelligence, what biases or um, perspectives may have, have influenced those judgments, um, and what steps were then taken based upon the threat as we knew it before January 6th. Um, This is a, to me, this is a watershed moment that um, should re-characterize how the government thinks about the threat from domestic violent extremists. And we're not going to be able to get to a legitimate understanding of how we might need to change the way we're doing this business until we have a legitimate investigation. You think about the questioning, the kind of chaotic questioning of those witnesses in the Senate and House hearings. The questioning needs to be done under oath, sitting at a table with the benefit of documents and intelligence to review, communications, emails between people. You, know, you can sit there and ask the chief, you know, who did you call? And you have his phone records. You know exactly who he called. I mean, and I'm just using the chief as an example here. That's how you get to the truth about, um, about what really happened in the lead up to these events.
0: Well, yeah, because now we have Sund saying, I, I called at 109, and Pittman saying, yeah, and we called at 1258, and Irving saying, I didn't hear from anybody until 128, and you didn't even request anything. And then Pittman comes back the next day to the, a totally different committee in a totally different branch or totally in the House instead of the Senate and says, I have the phone records here. And I'm like, well, okay, now we got to go back to the yeah. Senate, call Irving back in and present him with these phone records. It's just so disjointed. And I'm wondering if you think that the testimony of, I know Jill Sanders born counterterrorism FBI is going to be testifying next week. I wonder if you think her testimony, what we could expect from that or how that would go.
3: Well, I have great respect for Jill. I worked with her extensively when I was in the Bureau. She is a true counterterrorism expert. um, And I I expect she'll come in and testify, um, you know, openly and fully and, um, and we'll, we'll, we will certainly understand the best um, knowledge that she has of these events Um, but, you know, a lot has been said about the 9-11 commission and the 9-11 commission report in the, in the context of how we should think about this. I'm actually teaching a class right now at George Mason university on national security law and policy. We just conveniently two weeks ago did our week on 9-11 and the commission report. And so I had everybody read, um, a couple of chapters of the report, which I have read many times myself. And the first chapter of the commission report is uh it's truly a work of art they go through very dispassionately and clearly the events that led up to each one of the airplane hijackings and then they talk about how the different agencies responded in trying to you know get fighter jets in the air and that sort of thing and they absolutely expose fallacies and prior testimony It's all based on the facts that they've been able to glean from records and communications and phone logs. And it's and that is what we need here. We need a um, unassailable factual record of what took place.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I know that they're hammering out that legislation right now for the Insurrection Commission. Uh, And um, it looks like uh, it'll be a pretty even split now. I know they wanted more Democrats uh, on it than Republicans, but they got some pushback there. And but you know that was a first draft, and so we'll see how that goes. We'll we'll keep watching the testimony. I really appreciate you uh taking the time to to explain all this to us today. I think it's become a little bit clearer now what uh, what we're looking at. So I thank you so much, Andy.
3: Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity.
0: Now. Um, Everybody, please check out the threat. You, it, you're going to want to have that in your in your pocket when we come up. We start talking about what's going on with Durham when when, when nothing comes out. Well, can
3: I come back for that one? <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I was well, good because I was
1: going to invite you back. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have,
3: I, have, I have a feeling I'll have a
1: few things to say.
3: So, some thoughts. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks so much Bye. for joining us. Thanks, guys. It's been great. Have a great day.
0: Hey, everybody. Ag for cleanup on aisle 45. Can you believe it's March already? It was just March. Well, it's time for spring cleaning anyway, and getting the house in order. And you can get a head start by revisiting your home and auto insurance with Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help kill two birds with one stone. You can compare home and auto insurance rates and save up to a thousand fifty-five dollars per year by That That is money you can put towards things you really care about. For me, that's getting ready to go back out into the world once all these vaccines happen. Traveling, I love to do that. Anyway, it's a really great way to save money. And here's how it works: Head to PolicyGenius.com, answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property, then Policy Genius will take it from there they compare rates of over 30 top insurers from progressive to nationwide and they find the lowest rates for you the policy genius team will look at new ways to maximize your savings including bundling your home and auto policies that always helps save some money if policy genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now they'll switch you over for free it is no wonder that with the level of service policy genius has earned a a five-star rating across 1600 reviews on Trustpilot and google if you're worried that march is right around the corner and you've barely gotten anything done it's already here take a deep breath but it'll go fast this time i swear and policy genius will help me make the most of the short month in minutes just reshop your home and auto policy uh and you could save a thousand fifty five dollars so head to policygenius.com to get started right now policy genius when it comes to insurance it's nice to get it right Hey, everybody, welcome back. Time for your favorite segment. Goodbye to you. (laughs) But first, but first, we want to uh, give a shout out to our Hall of Fame patrons. Am I correct right there? Yep, absolutely. We want to give a shout out here to Patty B. uh, Thank you. And Jay Baker, uh, Jessica Odebeer, uh, who's also a wonderful patron over on the Daily Beans and I know at OA as well. Uh, Jamil Sh- Shohan?
1: I-, I think so. Yep.
0: Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Or Chohan. And Charles Jones. So, thank you all very much for your support. If you want to be a patron, there's all sorts of cool prizes and neat things and uh, ad free episodes. And we're going to start, you know, we're doing a, a Zoom call with our patrons, a uh, little hangout, happy hour. We give you uh, access to our stereo shows after, after we've recorded them. So it's just um, it's a really great community. I love it there. The community that we've built is so amazing. It's just such a great place to network, and we're all just like-minded individuals. And I get so much support. Like Andrew, the the thing that keeps me going, uh, honestly, is this incredible community of just engaged intelligent um compassionate people truly thank you so much
1: yeah no i i i love our listeners i love our patrons i, I love all of our listeners um we we got a couple more at the top that i want to give special shout outs to Please. to chris simpson to january 20th baby <laughs> i love that name greg kreimer and rufflebutt sarah so hmm. uh it's because
0: january 20th is my birthday that's right? why that, that's, that's, that's that was the important thing that happened uh, on january 20th
1: uh, maybe something else happened we launched on january 20th so you know that's we must certainly it's, did it's two birthdays in one now so but uh Ooh,
0: we'll never forget our anniversary i
1: <laughs> I, I have to tell you that the the most fun thing. Um, that, that we've done, uh, that really kind of blew me away f- from, uh, the, the Patreon community is we had our monthly Q and A. Um, we did a little differently than we do it on, on opening arguments. You and I got on Zoom and we had, I don't know 60 or 70 people on the Zoom call with us. Um, we, we did an hour of answering your questions as voted on by the patrons. And then y- you turned it over to somebody and like they stayed on the call for like hours. And I just I love that when, you know, the, the fact that like we've put these people in a room, you know, particularly now when. You know there aren't a lot of cocktail parties and rooms to put people in, um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but 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 I love that.
0: Yeah, it's like our little virtual pub. Yep. And then we answer questions. Yeah, and it's, it's awesome. absolutely fun. I think it's so great for a buck a show. I think it's yeah. totally worth it.
1: Yeah, that's that's gonna be my that's gonna be my pitch. Head on over patreon dot slash io forty five pod. You know how to spell it. Sign on up. Give us a buck. You get all the great stuff, and uh, you know you uh, you keep at it. We'll we'll read your name. Yeah.
0: Now, should we say goodbye to people?
1: <laughs> I can't wait.
0: <laughs> because first up, newly appointed Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is considering undoing his predecessor, Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller's last minute decision to elevate the top civilian Pentagon official overseeing special operations matters, Joe Tonnen signaling his intent to continue rolling back policies of the Trump administration. Now, Tonnen lost his pay raise and will likely now be quote-unquote buried in the Navy. <laughs> um, Austin is weighing a move as he resigns the senior official who most recently held that special operations post, and, and Austin is looking at replacing Miller's executive secretary, Navy Captain David Soldow, with a civilian, even though Soldow was not scheduled to rotate out until this summer. Oh,
1: buh-bye. And uh, Ooh, ooh you're, you're gonna love this one ag that ooh. that same politico article notes that long time muller she wrote favorite cash patel miller's chief of staff has also been terminated um i i as soon as i saw that i texted you And i, I have not seen that confirmed anywhere else but you know politico usually pretty reliable source um I, on top of getting rid of Cash Patel, hopefully, um, it, it notes that Austin has halted the in processing of a whole <laughs> bunch of new Trumpies that were added onto these defense panels, including Corey Lewandowski.
0: Oh what a swell fella. He was so he was so cordial and oh. easy to speak to during those hearings, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Just a real friendly, a
1: cooperative uh, yeah. type. It couldn't have happened to a nicer asshole. Um, and also, uh, Trump's 2016 deputy campaign manager, David Bossy.
0: Yeah, David Bossy, who took over the Trump campaign because uh, <laughs> Brad Parscale got tackled and arrested with a beer in his hand in Florida by the cops. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's, you can't make this up, so yeah they they were still completing their paperwork and undergoing security checks, which there's no way they could pass those security checks I mean let's be honest,
0: yeah, no, and and I was positing that the the number one way to get these people they get these folks for being prevented from being seated is to just use their security background checks, they're not going to pass them, and there's no longer a Trump in the White House who will ignore the not passing of background checks by the FBI yep. So, guess what, y'all? Bye (laughs) bye And no segment would be complete without the mentioning of John Durham. He will continue his role as Special Investigator of Nothing, but he is out as U.S. Attorney for Connecticut.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, And and speaking of uh, outgoing U.S. Attorneys, Stephen McAllister is also gone. He was a Clarence Thomas clerk, According to his profile at the Federalist Society.
0: And was that the uh, Kansas guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bye bye And today, I believe, was the deadline. You know, Biden came in a a couple weeks ago on a Tuesday and said, y'all got to get out or you're fired? Yep. Uh, I believe that deadline was today. So next week we should have a a plethora of (laughs) firings. And yes... (gasps) jefe i know what a plethora (laughs) is (laughs) we have a plethora of piñatas
1: Oh, we can never have too many piñatas as long as they're ex-trumpers so goodbye to you
0: (laughs) but bye-bye to them uh just such a fun refreshing segment the literal cleanup stuff going on Um, it's just (laughs) it's nice to see now here's something cool last minute can I give you a little last minute yeah yeah full-on cleanup mode at CPAC Matt Schlapp has just tweeted just leaving the Hyatt in Orlando the valet thanked me for bringing CPAC to this hotel He said it was the first time the hotel felt back to normal. He also said the patriotism was amazing. The New York City comms consultants for Hyatt should talk to their employees. Quote, uh, hashtag America uncanceled. So (laughs) full cleanup mode now.
1: Uh, Yeah. I I can't wait for the uh, congressional investigations on cancel culture. Uh, following CPAC's um, three-day parade of, uh, it's canceling when you disinvite speakers, but not when we do it.
0: Mm, right, right, right. Yeah, because the Pharaoh guy yeah. uh, was not allowed to go for his hmm, for his anti-Semitic remarks. Interesting. Oh. So you can have the you know the Odal Rune stage, but you can't say the stuff out loud. Come on. It, it
1: and and if I could give a plug for our friends over at the Skeptocrat, who talk about the fact that. The GOP literally platformed the leader of Japan's happy science cult on the stage. Um, If you are dying to know what lunacy they believe and it will shock you in a way that like maybe only the Odal rune can top. uh, Go go check out our friends over at the Skeptocrat this week.
0: Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Also, check out opening arguments. Come, come see the Daily Beans. Mm. We had a really interesting interview uh, that came out Monday with Andrew Hamilton, the person, the first, the first person to point out the Odo rune oh. on the stage, and uh, what a what a great um, what a great catch! I just have to say and. Uh, it, it, it was a great interview so you'll learn a lot I learned a lot
1: you're, you're doing great work AG
0: thank you stomping Nazis since 1988 it's my deal. <laughs> love it my grandpa did it I can do it too all right <laughs> all right everybody I don't have anything else to add uh, but this has been a wonderful episode thanks again to Andrew McCabe for taking the time to talk to us about security oh. uh, and, and intelligence the intelligence apparatus because we're going to be learning a lot more about that once uh, Merrick Garland is uh, confirmed probably by this Friday
1: Yeah, I think that's right. He's dreamy.
0: (laughs) Mm. Yeah, McBabe, we called him. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) He was Mr. February in our sexy justice calendar. Which which month was I again? I forgot. (laughs) i didn't know you yet oh okay all right well, 2022 <laughs> version why. there we go oh okay oh, well, i'm writing it down right now all right licking my pen <laughs> making a note all right well thank you everybody we will see you next week uh for cleanup on aisle 45 bye-bye Cleanup on Aisle 45 is written and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres and is engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Fact checking and research by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with Quality Assurance and Media by Muller, she wrote LLC. Branding Design and Logo by Starburns Audio and Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our copy is written by Jesse Egan. Our music is written and recorded by Adam Orr and Christopher Hoffey and our opening sequence was designed by Allison Gill and mixed by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Follow us on Twitter at aisle forty five pod and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss our cleanup on aisle 45 after party over on the stereo app. We'll be going live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern. And we want to hear from you. Our last stereo show went a little bit like this. Does any other state have that as an option? Thanks. I don't know which individual states. I know I know some states have recall for governor. We can do that here in California. We did it in Arizona when we recalled Evan Mecham, uh back in Wisconsin. the day. Uh, Wisconsin has a recall, uh, but I honestly don't know which individual states. I do know that you cannot, that Ted cannot be recalled. He cannot be removed. The only way to get Ted out of office is to vote him out of office, for him to resign, for him to become incapacitated, or for two-thirds of the Senate to vote to expel him.
1: That's exactly right. I got nothing to add to that. I I covered it all. All right. So
0: good. (laughs) And I did it in 14 seconds Look at me uh, okay. All right. Well, look. Stereo is the app for live social conversations And we want to talk directly with you, our listeners You can join our show, ask questions about news, politics, the law, anything Share your experiences, sing us a song, whatever We want to hear everything So download now and join us live this week Link to our show in the description And join us on the Stereo app
3: Season 4 of How We Win is here
4: For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial State House races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave.
3: But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws.
4: And And this this
2: is is how we win. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP,